Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of our triune Lord, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you ever heard the joke that there are only two seasons in Wisconsin? Winter and road construction. Now, lately, from what I've seen, I could argue that we really only have one season in the state of Wisconsin, that being road construction, because it seems like some of these projects never end. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, why do we make jokes about road construction? It's like, I think I'm safe in saying that there are none of us that actually enjoy driving through road construction. They narrow the lanes, as we're driving, things get slowed down. We're really not sure what that person in the lane next to us is going to do. It seems to take forever. And if we have the misfortune of being taken off the main road and put on a detour, well, it seems like sometimes that detour is heading in the opposite direction of the direction that we know we need to go. But just think for a moment how terrible driving would be if we didn't have these massive road construction projects. Imagine, for instance, if we were driving 60 miles per hour, 60 miles per hour on the highway and there were rocks in the middle of the road, there were potholes, there were big gaps. It would be terrible. It would take forever to get anywhere. Now, it's true, we dislike driving in road construction, but we would admit that the alternative is far worse. And we have to say, there is nothing like driving on a project once it has been completed. There's nothing like driving on that broad, smooth, flat, black, new asphalt. It's an absolute pleasure to drive on. And that's the kind of road that Isaiah wants us to picture in our reading from this morning. He wants us to envision a flat, level, broad, perfect road going through the midst of the desert. A smooth road through the desert without any imperfection. A road that is so flat and level that the very mountains have been brought down and the valleys have been filled in. Now Isaiah here is not describing for us an actual roadway through the desert or telling us that we need to go out and build some sort of massive highway to prepare the way for the Lord. Instead, Isaiah is telling us about the condition of our hearts, about how we need to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord. And this is the same message that we hear John the Baptist preach in his ministry almost 700 years later, as he was preparing the hearts of the people for the coming of Jesus. John echoed the words of Isaiah when he preached that message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You see, both John and Isaiah were preaching a message of repentance. They were using the tools of God's word to undertake a massive construction project in the hearts of the people they were preaching to. They used the tool of God's holy law to break down the mountains of sin and pride, to fill in the valleys of guilt and despair, to remind the people of their sins. They wanted the people to repent, to turn away from their sins and turn to trusting in the promises of God. And that idea of repentance is how people prepare their hearts for the coming of the Lord. 
As we consider these words, we too understand that our hearts are not prepared for the coming of our God. We understand the depth of our sin. We understand our inability to save ourselves. We realize that we need a Savior to save us because we cannot do it on our own. And we trust that our sins have been forgiven by the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now this message that Isaiah preached, he preached originally to the kingdom of Judah. You see, the people of Judah needed a massive renovation of their hearts, and so God sent Isaiah to preach to them a message of repentance, to remind the people how they had broken the covenant that their ancestors had made with God at Mount Sinai, to remind them of their sin, to remind them of their rebellion, to remind them how they had turned away from worshiping God alone and had gone after and served many other false gods. The people needed to hear the message of their sins. They needed to be reminded how much they had rebelled against God, and they needed to be warned of the consequences that would occur because of their rebellion. You see, the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah are very heavy on prophecies of law, of warnings of the destruction that was going to come on the people of Judah. And in fact, chapter 39 of the book of Isaiah ends with Isaiah giving the prophecy to King Hezekiah that because of the people's sin, the kingdom of Judah was going to be destroyed. The Babylonians would come in, they would burn down the city of Jerusalem. They would burn down God's holy temple. And they would take the people away into exile. This was not a pleasant message for the people of Judah to hear. It's not a pleasant message for us to hear. It's never good. Well, it's never. We don't like to hear about our sins. We don't like to be reminded of the times that we have failed to keep God's holy commandments because we know that our hearts, too, need constant renovation. Because of our sin, our hearts are not prepared for the coming of our King. Our hearts are not a smooth and level highway in the desert prepared for the Lord. Instead, they are rough and jagged, filled with those mountains of pride and those valleys of sin. And even though, dear friends, we have been reborn through the waters of baptism, we still must daily struggle against sin and temptation in our lives. We are fighting a constant battle every day of our lives. Satan is raging against us. Satan wants nothing more than to tempt us into sin, to lead us away from God and to bring us into that eternal condemnation that is reserved for him and his evil angels. This is the fate that Satan wants for us. And unfortunately, because of our weakness, we often find ourselves giving into temptation and sinning against God. We know our sins. We know how we have failed. If we examine ourselves according to the Ten Commandments, we quickly realize how often we break those commandments and fail to do what God requires of us. When we hold up the mirror of the law in our lives, we quickly realize that we have utterly failed to meet the standard of perfection that God demands. 
And we know that our hearts are not smooth and level and prepared for the coming of our Lord. We don't like to hear these things about ourselves. We don't like to hear God's law applied to us to remind us of how we have sinned and how we have failed in our lives of faith. We like to think that we're better than that. But dear friends, it is very important for us to hear this message of the law to be reminded of our sins because it is very easy for us to become puffed up in our own pride. To start thinking to ourselves, well, maybe I'm really not that bad of a person. I really don't sin all that often. Obviously, God must look at me and see the good that I have done in my life, and that must earn me some points with him. Or maybe we want to say to ourselves, well, while it's true I have sinned a little, at least I'm not as bad as those sinners over there. If God had to judge between me and them, surely he would pick me and condemn those really evil people over there. But Isaiah warns us about falling into the temptation of puffing ourselves up with these mountains of pride. Isaiah tells us that even our most holy and righteous acts cannot stand before the holiness of God. That God's holiness is like a hot, dry east wind or like the scorching sun and our good works are like grass that wither before that holiness. We heard last week how in God's eyes, because all of our good works have been tainted by sin on their own, they are like filthy rags. In his commentary on the book of Isaiah, the Lutheran theologian August Pieper wrote this about our self-righteousness in comparison to God's holiness. The holiness of the Lord is not passive, intransitive, or inactive, but it is an attribute of God that is ceaselessly active and effectively in operation. Without pause, it pierces all things with its light, blows upon judges, and thus sears, burns, and consumes everything sinful, unclean, and unholy. Dear friends, the message of the law is harsh. The message of the law condemns us and reminds us of our sin. The message of the law that Isaiah preached to the people of Judah told them about the coming exile. But God does not want to leave us in that wretched state. God wants to save us. God wants to save all people. He wanted to give hope to the people living in Judah, those who were faithful to him. And so he gives Isaiah the beautiful words that we heard this morning to speak to the people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem, call out to her. Her warfare really is over. Her guilt is fully paid for. Yes, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God would not leave his people in exile. God was going to bring them back from exile and restore them to the land of their ancestors. Isaiah reveals that this would be a mighty act of salvation by the Lord, the act of his strong, mighty arm. It would be as mighty an act of salvation as when he had used his same mighty arm to rescue the people of Israel from the hand of the Egyptians, when he opened the waters of the Red Sea and allowed the people to pass through on dry ground. 
God would bring the people back, and he, they did not need to fear his punishment any longer because God had removed their guilt. Dear friends, this is the same message of comfort that has been revealed to us as well. Our sins have been paid for and our guilt has been completely removed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The ministry of both Isaiah and John prepared the way for this revelation of the ultimate act of God's glory, the ultimate act of his salvation. The amazing miracle that God himself would live with us. Emmanuel, that God would become one with us, that God would take on human flesh and be born as a tiny, helpless little infant. That God would live as one of us that he would suffer as one of us, that he would endure the agony of cross and the torments of hell that we deserve, that God would do that for us, and that God would die for us to save us from our sins. This is the great mystery of our Savior, that Jesus Christ is both true God and true man and offered his perfect life as a sacrifice for our sins. By his death, Christ has renovated our hearts. He has destroyed the mountains of sin. He has filled in those valleys of guilt and shame. He has prepared us and made us a smooth and level highway through the wilderness. He has made us pure and holy. By his death and resurrection, we do not need to fear the judgment of God because Christ has been punished in our place. We have been clothed with his righteousness. And so on that great and glorious day when our Lord will return with all his glory to judge the living and the dead, we do not need to be afraid because we can stand before the throne of our God knowing that we have been saved through Christ, that we have been forgiven by our Lord. Dear friends, the season of Advent gives us an opportunity each year to focus on this idea of repentance. We know that we are sinners. And we know that our sins have been completely paid for by the death of Jesus Christ. We know that we do not need to do anything to earn God's grace and favor because Christ has done it all for us. So why do we repent? We repent because we acknowledge our sinfulness before the Lord. We acknowledge the times that we have failed. We repent because we want to turn away from the sinful behaviors in our life and live as children of light to do the things that our Father asks of us. That's what repentance is. This constant struggle in our lives against our own sinful nature, the constant struggle to live as God wants us to live. But we know that there are times that we will stumble and we will fall. The Apostle Paul describes our daily struggle against sin in this way by saying, Indeed, I know that good does not live in me, that is, in my sinful flesh. The desire to do good is present with me, but I am not able to carry it out. So I fail to do the good I want to do. Instead, the evil I do not want to do, that is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who am doing it, but it is sin living in me. This is why each Sunday we confess our sins before the Lord and our sins to our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
we ask God for his forgiveness, and we trust that our Lord has forgiven us in Christ. This is the other side of repentance, that we turn away from our sin, but we turn to our trust in the promises of the Lord. The trust that all of our sins have been completely paid for with the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Trust that our salvation is not found in our works, but in Christ alone. And trust that as we come forward to eat and drink of body and blood, we are receiving the forgiveness that Christ has won for us. And so, dear friends, again this morning, I share with you those beautiful words of Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people. Your sins have been forgiven. Your hearts have been prepared for the coming of the Lord. Because of Jesus Christ, you are a smooth and perfect highway in the desert, prepared for the coming of our Lord. Every mountain has been laid low. Every valley has been filled in. And so as redeemed children of God, we look forward in joyful anticipation to that great day of victory when our Lord will come to take us home to be with him. Amen.